Hello, everyone. Hi. Thank you for coming tonight, and uh, thank you for being a part of our third annual uh, Growth, Renewal, and Outreach Weekend. We're so happy to have everyone here, and we know that there's a lot of people also joining us online tonight, too, which is great. We're, we're happy to have you with us. Um, we're happy to have you here as well if you're a guest just joining us maybe for the first time tonight or maybe you're here because uh, you traveled a long distance. Thank you so much for making the effort to come in. And so as far as the agenda goes tonight, uh, we're going we're gonna to sing like we've just done and then we're going to have uh, David come and speak with us right away, give us a lesson. And then we're going to have a Q&A session after that. So if you hear anything during the lesson that kind of piques your interest or you'd like to learn a little bit more about, just feel free to kind of keep that in the back of your mind or write it down. And then when, when the time comes for the Q&A, we're going to have some microphones here with, a, with people. Um, so just raise your hand and we'll run the microphone to you. And just wait until we get the mic to you so that everybody can kind of hear your question. And that way we can also, um, we can make sure everybody online at home can hear too. And speaking of being online, if you are watching this on YouTube and you have a question, just on the right hand side next to the YouTube uh, box there, you're going to see a chat box. So if you have a question that you'd like to pose to David, just feel free to type that in there at any point during the lesson and we're going to monitor that and, uh, and I'll relay that during the Q&A session to David here. So without further ado, let me introduce our speaker. Uh, for this weekend. We are so blessed to have David Shannon here with us. Uh, he is a passionate minister of God's Word. And and just speaking with him for a little while tonight, that's already very evident. So we're, we're thankful to have David with us. He has served two congregations of the Church of Christ in Alabama and Tennessee since 1989. And God has used him in a powerful way in both of those congregations to to help double the size of their membership during his tenure, which is an amazing thing. Uh, in 2017, David was approached by Fried Hardman University and asked to become their president of the university, which he accepted, and he's held that role ever since uh, 2017. David has a lot going on. Besides these things, he's a, he's a prolific speaker, you could say. He travels a lot speaking uh, on, uh, on different topics like leadership, marriage, uh, parenting, and church, church growth seminars. He also uh, speaks at gospel meetings, youth events, and different evangelistic campaigns, uh, which is closely tied with our theme for this weekend. Uh, but besides speaking to large crowd, David says that his, his real, uh, something that's also very near and dear to him are those times when he can just be with one or two other people in front of God's Word, opening the Bible and sharing his faith. And, and so I think that is really amazing because that's going to help us kind of see that he has the experience with doing these things that we're going to be talking about this weekend. Uh, Because of his commitment to God's kingdom, his Christian education, and propagating God's word uh, to those people in the world, David has also become the recipient of an honorary doctorate of humane letters from Faulkner University. David is married to Tracy, and together they have three children and two grandchildren. It's easy to see why we are blessed uh, today and this weekend to have David with us. Uh, so I'll ask him to come up and please give him a warm welcome as we start out our talk tonight. Good evening. 
Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. I appreciate the kind introduction. I've only been here since noon and I've had two amazing meals. I look forward uh, to hanging around here a few days. It is good to see each one of you. I bring you greetings from Tennessee. I bring you greetings from Fried Hardeman University. And it is truly a pleasure uh, to be here in Winnipeg and to be here at the Central Congregation and also with so many other Christians from other congregations as a part of this. I do uh, appreciate the focus this weekend of a growth seminar. I appreciate the focus on evangelism. And uh, I do not, uh, number one, I am not an expert on this. And number two, I don't view myself as an expert on this. But I can tell you that I have loved studying with individuals throughout my adult life. And uh, it's been one of the greatest blessings I've had in my life is for uh, on a weekly basis just to sit down with individuals and study with them. And so uh, let's let's share some things tonight from God's word and let's see what we can gather that that I hope tonight and then even over the weekend tomorrow uh, we'll have at least one of those sessions. We'll try to be just really practical and, and what I like to think of getting to the nuts and bolts of of some of these biblical truths that we study. I like the the Peanuts comic strip. You may have seen it several years ago. Lucy goes up to Linus and her brother and says, hey, I converted someone at school. And and he said, really, how did you do it? And and she says, well, I told the person what I believed and I asked them if they believed it. And when they finally said they didn't believe it, I took my lunchbox and hit them over the head until they said they did. Now, when you think about evangelism and you think about that with attitude, what do we mean when we say a, an attitude of evangelism? Probably all of us, sometime in our life, we've seen someone who they've had a really bad attitude, if you will, about sharing Jesus Christ. They just did not have a godly, wise, humble approach. But you know, my guess is, that there wouldn't be many of us here tonight that that's our greatest challenge. My guess is, for most of us here tonight, our greatest challenge is distractions. Our greatest challenge is keeping the main thing the main thing. You know, when you think about one of the great chapters of the Bible, and we know every chapter of the Bible is great, but I'm just saying when people literally create lists of the greatest chapters of the Bible, Luke 15 is always in the list of greatest chapters. You remember Luke 15? It's about the one lost sheep. And even though 99 are there, that one is worth leaving all of the attention here and giving all of the tension to that one soul. And then you remember the stories continue. Then there's the lost coin. And then there's the lost son. And what all of those show is the value of one soul that we ought to see and we ought to focus. And it ought to be a priority in our life. But yet we're human. We're imperfect. We're in a world where most of us in this room, God has blessed us so richly it's so easy to be distracted. Think about when Proverbs, the 11th chapter and verse 30, closes that verse by saying, 
And he who wins souls is wise. Why is that wise? Why is it wise keeping the main thing the main thing? Or think about the implied opposite of that. An individual that does not win souls is foolish. Why is that foolish? I mean, really, why, why is it foolish if, if you don't care about someone's soul? You know, Jesus, when he was a boy, said that he was here to be about his father's business. And then remember when he invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, here in Luke, the 19th chapter and verse 10, he says what that business is. He says to Zacchaeus, for the Son of Man has come to seek, and to save that which was lost. If we are going to be disciples of Jesus, a disciple follows the teacher. Jesus came to seek. He went about on a daily basis with the priority of souls on his mind. He was seeking souls that could be saved every day. That's wise. Now, when we think about this as it relates to priorities, you might could say it really comes down to something this simple that yet is this profound. Remember when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew the sixth chapter, beginning verse uh, 19, it's it's kind of a play on words. Because when he says, do not lay up for yourselves, that lay up is the idea to treasure up. So in other words, what he's saying is don't treasure up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because moth and rust and thieves... We'll just take it away from you. In other words, Jesus says, you realize all these things are temporary. You see them and you value them as if they're all so important. But that's a mispriority. They're very, very temporary. And so then he tells us what to value. Verse 20. So treasure up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, you get this? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, the proverb writer teaches that that from the heart stems all of the issues of life. Proverbs and James both teach that from the heart is where the words come from. So let's think about that for a moment. Have you ever noticed that what you really, really treasure, you just have to talk about it with someone? Have you noticed that? I guarantee you any young lady that is engaged sometime over the last 24 hours has talked about her wedding. And if you take, if you take a, a young, young parents and, and they have a baby that's been born recently, you think that baby's not a part of their heart? You know why that baby's a part of their heart? Because they treasure that baby with their life. They would do anything. To love and protect that baby. Now, we can also flip that over to temporal things. You know, there may be someone that loves their vehicle, loves their house, loves their career, loves their hobby, loves whatever it is that they treasure it so highly, they're going to talk about it. You just hang around them any length of time, and they're going to talk about it. Because that's what we do. Where our treasure is, 
That's where our heart is also. And wherever our heart is, comes out of our heart through our mouth. And it reveals it. What we talk about reveals our heart. That reveals our treasure. You know, I think about 17 years ago, getting a random phone call one day from one of our members at church that was a supervisor at work. And he said, I know this is really crazy, but is there any way today or tomorrow during lunch I could bring some of the guys off my crew by the church building and we'll all just bring our lunches in and can we sit around the conference room table and we've got a lot of guys from a lot of different religions and they talk Bible all the time and they've got a lot of Bible questions. And I said, sure, come, come by, come by today. 11.30, they came in. It's about eight hours around the table. And, and they just, they just started asking Bible questions. And a lot of them were apologetic type questions. You know, how can we really know the Bible is real and, and it's really from God and it's trustworthy and, and, and things like that. And less, a lot of good questions. And so we just opened the Bible and we just, we just saw what God said about it. And at the end of that lunch, we parted ways and he called back and he said, Hey, these guys are blown away that you can just like open the Bible up like that. And you can just study together. Is there any way we could do this again next week? I said, sure. Let's just do it every Tuesday. And so for probably three years, we got together every Tuesday at lunch. Probably three or four of those guys were, were baptized into Christ. Here we are 17 years later. Last Wednesday night. The amen is said at the end of church. I look over at one of those guys. And we just start small talking. And he said, isn't it amazing how God will put people in your lives, in your life? And I said, yeah. He said, I want to tell you two stories real quick. He said, the other day we, we got up and we went out real early in the morning and, and me and a buddy. And he said, we decided we're going to stop by Waffle House. I don't know if you'll have Waffle Houses. 24 hour, it's 24 hour like little diner. It's the best way. It, it's got greasy, unhealthy food that's like really good. And, uh, and, and so he said, walked into it. So picture this little square diner. He said, walked in and there wasn't a, a seat available anywhere except there were two seats available at a table another man was at. He said, I walked over there. I said, do you? Do you mind if we eat breakfast with you? And he said, no, no, go ahead. He sits down and, and he said, um, yeah, I'm just glad to be eating today. He said, this is my first meal in five days. My buddy says to him, said, well, if you don't mind me asking why, why have you not eaten in five days? And he said, well, I've been drunk for six days. And he said, okay. And their food came and my buddy said, would, would you mind if we had a a prayer for we eat? He said, sure, go ahead. And so he prayed for the man. And he prayed for the food. And afterwards, that led into the man asking a lot of questions about God. A lot of good seeds were planted. And as they were getting up to leave, the, the older guy said, I really am glad you guys sat down to eat breakfast. I, I really need that. And Tyler said to him, he said, well... My guess is that God had a lot to do with us getting together today, and, and I hope we see you again.
And he'd already invited him to church. Later on, the same young man, Tyler, was out turkey hunting. And, um, and so he was calling up a turkey, and the turkey was answering. And, and a, another turkey hunter started sweeping around to get between him and the turkey. Now, what's neat was, if you went back, remember, Tyler was converted 17 years ago. If you went back 18 years ago or more, that would have been some serious issues. And, uh, and whenever I knew, you're going to think I'm, I'm being lighthearted here, and I'm not. Whenever I knew that Tyler was truly converted was when he started acting like a Christian while he was hunting. That's when I knew it. I, I remember the day we were studying and he told me some changes he made. And what he did was he made his, his hunting legal because he believed that a Christian should live a righteous life. And that day, when he walked out of the office that day, I was like, he's faithful. Like, he gets it. Because that was a huge sacrifice of denying self for him. And so, so here we are 17 years later. This guy does this. Now, Tyler knows to turn the other cheek. So he thought, you know, I'm just going to, once the guy gets around completely, I'm going to back away quietly. So if he can get the turkey, he can get the turkey. And so he starts backing away real quietly. And he runs into another hunter. And so they start talking. He finds out he's relatively new to the area. He finds out where he's living. And then after a little bit, he says to him, you know, I can tell from the way you're talking You've been religious in your life. Where do you go to church? He said, I don't go anywhere now. He said, I've moved into town six months or so ago. And he said, I work at the Vanderbilt Hospital, but, but I, don't, I don't go anywhere now. And he said, listen, I want to tell you, you live right between two amazing churches. He said, on one side of you is the 109 Church of Christ. And down the road, the other way is the Mountain Juliet Church of Christ. And I want to encourage you to go to one of those because it's going to change your life. After they parted ways and he got his contact information so he could stay in touch with him, Tyler then reached out to another fellow Christian that worships at 109 and says, Hey, there is a young man that works in your same department. Here's his name. Start planting seeds and let's see what happens over the next year. How do you sit down in a busy restaurant at breakfast and just talk about God with a stranger? How do you go out into the middle of the woods and run into another hunter and talk to him about God? There's only one way. God and God's willingness to save souls has to be your treasure. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. There will be nothing you do in your life that's more important and more valuable than a soul. What will you do to help a soul meet their Creator and their Savior? It has to be a priority. It has to be the treasure. 
Why? Because there's coming a day when everything that is temporal will be burned up. What does that, what does that really mean? Well, let's put it in real simple terms. You see this picture on the left? That's a 2,000 square foot home on the day of judgment. And the picture on the right is a 4,000 square foot home. Now, what if today we were just passing out? What if, what if we were just passing out handful of ashes? And what if I gave you one handful of ashes and I gave the person setting to you two handfuls of ashes? Would you get angry? I can't believe you didn't give me as many ashes as that. I want you to think about everything you own. Everything you own. There's coming a day where it will be nothing more than ashes. Everything we can touch. Everything that's fleshly. It's all temporal. Fleshly. Earthly. The priority and the focus has to be on eternal. Spiritual. Heavenly. That's what matters. And all the fleshly and all the temporal are just tools that God gives us to use to serve and to be good to other people and to be generous with other people and to help grow the kingdom. So tonight, as as we think about this attitude of evangelism. And think about, wow, how do you, how do you have a good attitude? How do you have an effective attitude? How do you have an attitude that's focused, priorities, you're not distracted? I don't know about you, but I love to see people that are the best in the world at what they do. I know you can always argue, well, like, who's really the best at something, right? But, but like, I had a buddy one night that called me, and he said, hey, Tommy Emmanuel's going to be in Nashville. And I said, I don't know who Tommy Emmanuel is. He says he's the best guitarist in the world. And I'm like, well, I don't really know anything about guitar. I, he said, you're not going to go with me? And I said, well, I don't really know why I'd go. And he would say, because he's the best in the world. Like, you ought to go just so. And I said, all right, you talked me into it. I'll go. And you know what? I stood there that night and I heard him play and I kind of like made a vow to myself that night. I'm like, it's worth it to be around people that are the best in the world. With it. I never knew an individual could do things like that with a guitar. It was absolutely amazing. All right. Who's the most successful missionary? The most successful evangelist that's ever walked this earth? Now, we'd probably say Jesus. But outside of Jesus, who would be the greatest? I don't know anyone that had more success than Paul had. What if you could listen to Paul? What what if you could ask Paul, Paul, how do you do it? I mean, by the time the New Testament's closed out, he's written about half the books in the New Testament. He's the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher, the greatest missionary, the greatest evangelist had friends that loved him dearly, he could roll open a map of his day. Can you imagine just standing beside him and just hearing him reminisce? Oh, I remember going there. And, and, and I remember all the, the people that were brought to Christ. I remember the congregation that was started there. He could just dot the maps where he planted churches, where hundreds and maybe even thousands became Christians because of the ripple of, of his teachings. And so here's the question for you tonight. What do you think Paul would say if we asked Paul, Paul, how do you do it? How do you get up every day 
and focus on souls. Like, we want to do it. Our challenge is we get distracted. So, Paul, how do you do it? How do you focus on souls every day? And I believe he tells us. At the beginning of Romans, I believe he, he tells us. And you'll remember in Romans, the 14th, 15th, and 16th verse of the first chapter, Paul has three I am statements. And they're very revealing to talk about the attitude that he had in evangelism. You remember in verse 13 talks about the fact that he wanted to go and be with the people at Rome. Over and over we see that throughout the scriptures. And yet notice here he says, Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now. That I might have, now why do you want to go to them? That I might have some fruit among you also. Just as among the other Gentiles. Paul, why do you want to go to Rome? Souls. Fruit. Those that are Christians, I want to, I want to edify them. I want to help build them up. Those that are not Christians, I want to teach them about Jesus. I want them to become Christians. Paul wanted to go to bear fruit. Now, notice the next three verses, how he describes himself. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Paul, how do you see yourself? He say, I see myself as a debtor. I see myself as one that owes this to someone. I don't know if, if you guys, if, if these bumper stickers ever made it to, to Canada, but way down in Tennessee, and especially when I was like a teenager, so we're going back a lot of years ago, there was a bumper sticker that was really popular, and it would say, I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. You know, and you, you're, you see that bumper sticker and you think, is that, is that really a good reason to go to work? But sadly, that is the motive that a lot of us go to work, right? We're like, how would I pay the bills if I didn't go to work? And so I have this, what? I have this debt. I owe this. It is due. It is my duty. It is a debt. It is a burden on my shoulders that I am responsible to pay. Now, Paul, can you help us again? You get up every morning, and how do you see yourself? And he would say, I see myself in debt. I see myself owing this debt every day. That's an amazing concept. Who do you think he owes? I think that we can look in Paul's writings and in Paul's life, and we can see several individuals that he would say that he owes. This one right here is one of the most amazing ones to me because it shows us the humility of Paul. I want you to think about, by the time he is writing First Timothy, he really has, by this time, written almost half of the New Testament books. And by this time, his success in planting churches, like the first century church looked different all over the world because of Paul. You know what? A lot of us would probably say, I'm not trying to speak for you, so I'm speaking for me and the others around you, okay? But... A lot of us, if we had the success that Paul had for that many years, you know what we would say? Now, we wouldn't say it out loud, 
But you know what we'd say inside? We'd say, well, God sure is lucky to have me. I mean, where would where would this first century church be without me? I mean, look at all the things that I've done. Look what look what Paul said in in first Timothy one and twelve. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Isn't that amazing? Here's this man with great success, and he says, I'm just so thankful to God that he lets me have the opportunity to tell other people about Jesus. He's enabled me to do this. He has blessed me with this opportunity. And he goes back. He goes back in verse 13 to the past. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent, or a violent man. But notice, I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace, he's talking about mercy. Now he's talking about the grace of the Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. <laughs> but I'm glad, I'm glad I'm not one of those because I tell you what, I'm the one spreading the gospel all over the world. I'm the one causing the church to grow. Paul says, I sure am thankful he saved me because I was the chief of sinners. You know, sometimes people read in Philippians 3 where Paul says, I forget those things which are behind. And I've heard people say, see, you can even forget your past sins. Isn't it interesting that Paul didn't? That's not what that passage says. Read all of Philippians 3. What Paul is forgetting of his past was how he was trying to boast and make things about him. He was bragging that he was circumcised the eighth day. He was bragging that he was the tribe of Benjamin. He was bragging that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And Paul said, I forgot all of those things so I could lose those things so that I could what? I could win Christ. Paul, how do you see yourself today? I see myself all the way back to that chief of sinner that I was. And the only reason I'm able to get up today and tell you about Jesus Christ is because God redeemed me. His grace and his mercy saved me. And I'm so thankful that he gives me the opportunity today to tell you about Jesus. That's how Paul viewed his life. He owed the Lord a debt. That he could never repay. But he was going to get up every day and try to pay it. He goes on uh, to say in verse 16, however, for this reason, I obtained mercy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. He said, I see myself as a pattern. Pattern of what? A pattern of long-suffering. Long-suffering of who? Long-suffering good God. Do you realize that sin separates you and I from God? If God condemned us the first time we sinned, He would be just. That's, that's as just as it can be. So then you say, well, why didn't He condemn me the first time I sinned? And why did He give me opportunity What's that opportunity called? All throughout the Bible, that opportunity is called the long-suffering of God. That is a key passage and a key part of salvation. The long-suffering of God. 
You have co-workers right now that they're alive right now. They're not saved, but they're alive right now because God has been long-suffering with them. He's giving them the opportunity to learn of him. And then he's put Christians around them at work. So everything's in place. Now, we need to do our job as God's doing his job right now of long-suffering. It's the same way with people on the street where you live. It's the same way with friends. God right now is being long-suffering, giving us the opportunity to share the gospel with them. I wish we had time to really flesh this one out, but we don't because we need to to get a little bit further in Paul's writings tonight. So just let me remind you of this story. You remember when the sinful woman came in when Jesus was in Simon the Pharisee's house? And you remember she came in with an expensive ointment and she anointed his feet and she took her tears and washed his feet and her hair and, and, and continued drying and washing his feet and she kissed his feet. Simon over here to the side is, I can't believe, can't believe that if if he just knew what kind of woman this is, he'd never let this happen. So Jesus knows Simon's heart. Remember, he calls him out and says, let me tell you a story. And he told him about a man who had two individuals that owed him money. One owed a small amount of money and one owed such a large amount that it could never be repaid. And the man forgave both debtors forgave them. And after he told Simon that story, he said, Simon, which one do you think will love him the most? And he said, well, the one who has been forgiven the most. And then he turned around and he said, isn't it interesting? She's anointing my feet. You wouldn't even anoint my head. She's kissed my feet. You wouldn't even give me the cultural kiss on the cheek that you should have given as I come into your house. You haven't given me water to wash my feet or a towel to dry them. She's used her tears in her hair. Who do you think is going to love the most here? And here's something very important. Was he saying to Simon... Her sins are greater than your sins, and that's why she loves me so much. Simon's sins were just as great as her sins. What he was showing Simon was, isn't this amazing? You think you're good on your own merit. You think that you're better than her. You would look and say... Well, she ought to be thankful that Jesus saves if if you're going to save her. Now, are you listening? What did it cost for Jesus to save you? Well, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I don't do the things other people do. I don't guess, whoa, 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 don't say that. Your voice was mocking in the crowd. It's your sin that hammered the nail through his hand. It's your sin that he died on the cross for you. But if I'm not humble enough to admit it, I can get up tomorrow and not owe the Lord anything. <laughs> Lord, I'm glad you I'm glad you died for all those people that are really sinners. 
Do you realize if there was no one else in the world, your sin would have cost the life of Jesus. Paul got it. Jesus was trying to help Simon get it. I think it's this simple. People that don't think their salvation was very costly don't tend to share Jesus with anybody. There's no treasure there. There's no heart there. When you and I can come to grips with the reality of Jesus offered me something I do not deserve. He's offered me more than any one has or ever will offer me. And when we truly grasp that treasure, that's where our heart will be, and we will naturally go out and tell others about Jesus. But who else did he owe? Do you remember Ananias? Okay, now we're looking in Acts the ninth chapter here, and remember that's where where Saul saw the bright light and the Lord Asked him why he was persecuting him and told him to go and wait in Damascus. And it would be told him what he must do. So in other words, now Saul is waiting in Damascus for someone to come and tell him the truth of salvation so that he could be saved. There are people in Winnipeg right now in that same model. They have an open heart. They have questions about God, and they are waiting for someone to come and to tell them the truth, the answers of Jesus. Now, remember Saul was a horrific persecutor of Christians. Remember, he, he would rip them out of their homes. He would throw them into prison. And when it came time to vote whether or not they would live or die, he says in the book of Acts that he voted that they would die. Paul had been putting Christians to death. <laughs> now, put yourself in Ananias' shoes. So God comes to Ananias, and, and let's, let's begin reading verse 13. But here's the deal. We know what Ananias says because the Holy Word of God tells us. But what we don't know is the rate of speech, right? And we don't know, like, the tone of voice. You know how when someone asks you to do something and it's so crazy and you just think, okay, if, if I repeat this back to them and they can hear what they're asking me, they're going to say, oh, yeah, that was a terrible idea. Yeah, we forget that. Scratch that. Okay, here's what I wonder. Okay, this is just me. This is just David Shannon wondering here. But I wonder if this is how this would have sounded in real life. Okay, you know, Lord tells Ananias to go to Saul, and Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And so the Lord said, yeah, that was a crazy idea. And I said, I don't know why I would ask you to do that. The Lord says, yeah, that's right. Go. He's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. What a list there, right? And he says, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. 
I'm sure all of us at some time have been nervous in trying to talk to someone about Jesus because we want to say the right thing and, and we want to handle it in a way that, that really benefits their soul. But I don't know if any of us will ever be as nervous as Ananias was because he probably thought, I'm going to die. This, this is going to be the end. Can you imagine when Paul gets up every morning and he thinks, wow, I'm in debt. And there are so many that I'm thankful toward. I'm thankful toward the Lord. I'm really thankful toward Ananias. What, what if he wouldn't have come and told me to arise and be baptized, to wash away my sins, calling on the name of the Lord? But also think about Barnabas. When you read the 26th verse, still in Acts 9, notice Saul came into Jerusalem and he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. So see, they wouldn't join up with him. Now go to verse 28. Look down at the bottom there in verse 28. So he, now we're still talking about Saul. Now he was with them at Jerusalem. You say, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. 26, they're running from him. 28, they're with him. What happened in verse 27 to change this? What happened was Barnabas. Notice what Barnabas did. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road. And he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. Well, don't you know that he was thankful for Barnabas? Because not only did Barnabas help him then, but Barnabas helped him also learn mission work, which was really amazing. And there have been post-it notes handed out to you. I'd like for you to take one of those, and, and we'll pause for just a minute here. I'd like for you to make a list of, say, five individuals that you can look back on your life and you can say, wow, I am so thankful for them because I would not be where I am today spiritually if it were not for them. Maybe maybe you grew up in a Christian home, and so maybe... Maybe your parents will be on that list. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home, and maybe it's whoever had enough courage to invite you to church. Maybe it was that first Bible class teacher that really helped you to understand Scripture better, helped you to connect with Jesus in a very real way. Maybe it was that person that when you were going through a time in your life and you were falling away, Maybe it was the person that loved you enough to confront you. And like Luke 15, to, to find you when you were being lost. Maybe it was the person that you walked through life with as a good friend or a family member that they've just been a blessing to you spiritually. Who are five individuals that you would not be where you are today spiritually if it were not for them? I want to encourage you to take that list and tonight as you pillow your head I want to encourage you to pray fervently in thanksgiving for those five people. Think about what those five people mean to you. 
there's a really good chance that you wouldn't be a Christian without those five people. There's a really good chance your eternity would be different without those five people. If they're still alive, maybe you want to call them this week. Maybe you want to write them a note. I have a note that now it's about 20, 25 years old. And a woman wrote me this note. And it's kind of an exercise like that. She wrote it like 20 years ago and she said, I just look back at the people in my life that led me to Christ. And I'm, I'm writing them all a note. I've kept that letter because it just means a lot to me. I want to ask you a sobering question. What if everyone, everyone that has ever lived and everyone that's alive today went through that same exercise? And they wrote down the five people that have helped them be where they are spiritually. Would your name be on anyone's list? I want to encourage you to take that second notepad, that second post-it note. And I want, to make, I want you to make a second list. And this one's real important. Because this isn't appreciating the past. This is about changing someone's eternity. I want to challenge you before this weekend is over. To have five names on that post-it note. And I want to challenge you to put that post-it note in the front of your Bible. I want to encourage you to pray for those five individuals that you put on your list. Maybe it's an individual that's never become a Christian. Maybe it's someone who's fallen away. But I want to encourage you to pray for them every day. I want, you, I want to encourage you to pray for yourself that you will use the opportunities God gives you in wisdom to reach them. I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to strengthen your relationship with them that whenever the time is right in their life and they're willing, that you will be there as they decide to make that change. I think about a man that my mom and dad studied the Bible with him. They formed a really good friendship, genuine friendship with him. Four years. It was four years before he became a Christian. And it was a wonderful a wonderful time when he was baptized into Christ. But what I'll never forget is my mom going up and giving him a hug. And saying, Jim, I've prayed for you every day for four years for this moment. And tonight my prayer is going to be different. Tonight it's going to be a prayer of thanksgiving. What you treasure is where your heart is. And that's what comes out of our heart. 
That's what comes out in our speech. That's what comes out in our actions. That's what shapes our priorities. People need people around them that are focusing on their soul. Because sadly, people who are lost are not focusing on their soul. And they need someone to help them learn how important it is and how great God is. All right, we've got to wrap this up. The next thing he says is, I am ready. And uh, we'll try to incorporate tomorrow into some of the others a part of this. But Paul was eager, but also Paul was prepared. I think what a lot of people fail to realize is at the time that he was baptized, it was almost 11 years later before he went on his first missionary trip. I'm not saying he didn't preach any sermons during those 11 years, but I'm just saying when you look at an Acts 11th chapter, he was being trained by Barnabas how to be a missionary. When you look at the first missionary trip, it wasn't Paul and Barnabas. The first missionary trip was Barnabas and Paul because he was still being trained how to do mission work. Listen, if it took the great apostle Paul 11 years to get to the point that, that he could accomplish the things that we know him best for on these missionary journeys... Who am I to think that I can just take it very casually and some way be real effective? I need to be a debtor. But I also need to realize that I need to take time to prepare. I need to give sufficient time in my life to prepare. How do I best visit with someone? How do I best have that conversation? How do I best study with someone? I need to be ready. I need to be prepared. In Hebrews the fifth chapter when he says, when for the time you ought to be teachers, that word ought there in the Greek is, is in its core wording, the core Greek word uh, is similar to the word debtor in Romans the first chapter in verse 14. So that word ought is very strong when he says, when for the time you ought to be a teacher. In other words, you have the duty, you have the debt to be a teacher. You need someone to teach you again. In other words, you've been poured into, you've been poured into, you've been poured into, and now God is giving you this opportunity to talk to somebody. And you say, well, I don't, I don't know what to say. God would say, how can you have non-sufficient funds? You know what? Some of you younger ones probably don't even know what a check is, right? Okay. Remember back in the olden days, we had checking accounts. And if you wanted to write a check, you had to have what? You had to have the funds in the account. And if you wrote a check and you didn't have the funds in the account, it would bounce. And you called that a non-sufficient funds. That's exactly what the Hebrew writer here is saying. He says, this has been poured into you, poured into you, poured into you. And now it's time for you to write the check. You owe it. Pay the debt you owe. And the Hebrew writer here says, the person saying, I I can't teach. I can't teach. He's saying, how can you say you can't teach? You mean we need to go back again? Notice, we need to go back again to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God? He's saying, you mean we got to go back and put all of that back in you again? Be the teacher. And then finally he says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's power of God's salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first, also for the Greek. I wish this wasn't true of me. I wish it weren't true of you. But for most of us, there are times when we know what to say. 
And the only reason we don't say it is we're ashamed. And we know how much the Lord has done for us. And we know that He is all that matters. And I don't get it. I don't get why sometime I would still be ashamed. But I love the fact that it's so real that Paul brings it up. Out of everything he could mention, he says, let me tell you what I do. I see myself as a debtor and I get up every day and I try to pay that debt. I see myself as one that has been making ready. I am eager and I want to be prepared to teach the gospel. And then it's almost like he says, and I know this other thing that we all wrestle with. He says, I don't want to be that person that's ashamed. I am not going to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. We're going to have to wrap up here. We're, we're, we're out of time. Uh, and we're supposed to have some questions. And I'm sorry we didn't leave much. Really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we do want to open it up now for a few questions. Thankful for that was a lot, um, like really good stuff. And, and I know that I had a lot of questions going through my mind. Um, so please uh, just feel free to raise your hand and, and we're going to bring a microphone to you. And we can we can pose those questions to David. Don't be shy. I have a few here that were written down. Maybe I can start with those. Tim? Oh no. Did you have one? Oh okay. Sure. All right. So here's a question that I that I had come up. Um, you mentioned at the beginning of the lesson this this thing about really treasuring your faith uh, and having that be the treasure in your heart is there any any suggestions that that you can maybe provide for what we would what we'd be able to do if we find like when we do a little introspecting that that our faith just really isn't our treasure we want it to be but maybe it's not is there anything that we can um, do or focus on that might help help us get that back I guess you know I take that question in my mind and I put it in the realm also of wisdom and um, I love the book of Proverbs. And, and when you study Proverbs, what is said over and over is that you have to pursue wisdom. You have to search for her as if she's a treasure. And, and I think the wisdom in that question that you're asking, and in, in then the answer that would come out of that would be, what faith do we want and are we willing to do the work to find it. You know, uh, grace is a gift from God. You don't merit grace. But you have to find that gift and you have to seek its worth. And then to seek to uncover it. And, and so in that, nothing's richer than the Word of God. Getting into God's Word and seeing the depth of the treasure of faith, but then also, you know, throughout Scripture, especially in Hebrew poetry, you know, we're we're to read and meditate, and and so, what if we read about heaven and then meditate? What's it going to be like to be there? You know, a, a very frequent subject that Jesus talked about was hell. 
So what if we read what Jesus says about hell and meditate? Well, what would it be like to be there? And and spending time. The Bible is God's word, literally letting God tell us, hey, this is the part you're not seeing right now. Let's spend some time on that. And and the more the unseen comes to us. And now we're back to like Second Corinthians five. We're living by faith or by sight. And the better we can live by faith and less by sight, the more we're going to value it. Uh, great question. Yeah. Goes back to the distraction idea too that you started out with too. Appreciate yeah. that. Is there any but, other But oh. faith grows. Yeah. But we have to nurture it. And so, you know, I don't know Canada. Do you guys have gardens? You know, I grew up in a garden. My grandparents had a garden. My other grandparents had a garden. We had a garden. I couldn't get out of a garden. And I know this. You take care of a garden, and a garden's beautiful, and it produces. You don't have to go out and say, I'm going to destroy this garden. All you do is say, I'm just not going to do anything in the garden for the next month. And your neglect ends the garden. And that's the way it is with our faith. You know, if, if we just neglect our faith, sure, it's not going to be alive. And it's not going to do well. And, and so there has to be that nurturing on our part to nurture the faith. Thank you. Well, we got Richard has a question back there. I just, uh, it's not a question. I just appreciate your reminder about uh, Paul. Uh, sometimes... I've been inclined to think uh, he became a Christian and within a matter of a couple of sh- few short years, he was out there preaching. But he too had to be taught. And as you pointed out, for him it was about another 11 years before he was ready uh, to get out there and do that. So, there's hope for all of us in that regard. I just want to Yeah, you know, Galatians tells us he spent time literally with the Lord teaching him. And, um, and then we know he spent time with, with Barnabas. And, and there's no doubt during that 11 years, he was doing some powerful preaching and all. We're not, I'm not trying to say he, you know, he didn't, he didn't do anything but study for 11 years. But it is interesting that you see him literally before your eyes and, and acts mature as a missionary. Um, thank you. Jay's got one. Thank you, buddy. Um, thank you, David, for everything that uh, you've told us so far. Uh, in connection with Richard's question concerning, uh, comment concerning Paul and his 11 years of training, what do you think um, is, you know, the ideal training and preparation that the church should give to to the to her members? in order to prepare them to evangelize? You know, that question is, it's so awesome to think about theoretically, but then there's also that thinking about reality. And, and here, here's what I've seen through the years, is that it's much better for a church to nurture the members with opportunities But we also have to realize that all of us, you know, when you think about your spiritual journey, here's where I begin and here's where I go through my life. 
And what we're supposed to do on our journey is there's supposed to be a continual maturation, but none of us are perfect. So our journey doesn't look like this. Our journey looks like this. And hopefully the downs don't go as deep as what they did in the past. And so it's, it's like this going up. And so in that, what I'm saying is we need to be careful that we don't create an environment of guilt on members that they, so far as maturity, they're not ready to sit down and teach someone. But we need to create an environment that is hopeful, that says, hey, we're a church family that we focus on souls all the time. We invite people all the time. We welcome guests all the time. We study with people all the time. And we want you to be involved in that wherever is your level today. And whenever you decide you want to grow more, we want to be there to support you as you grow more. What I saw through the years of working with two different congregations uh, for several years each was that when the church family sees a number of people converted, that old idea, you know, you'll hear people, I don't know if you hear people say, I hear people say, yeah, people just aren't interested in Christianity anymore. Well, all you got to do is start converting some people. And all of a sudden, that just doesn't fly anymore. You're like, no, see, it's, it, gospel still has power. Jesus is still the Savior, and God is just as powerful as he's ever been. And, and yes, there are people all over that are hungry for, for the Lord. And so when they see that, then that deception, that really it's Satan tell us those lies, that deception starts wearing off and people start getting excited. I remember there were times at Mount Juliet where you know, we went through a time where very few people were willing to teach one-on-one. And then we did mission trips and training and a lot of stuff at home. And then we had the problem where we had people that wanted to do studies one-on-one and there weren't enough people to go around uh, that, that wanted to be studied with. And people get frustrated. They're like, oh, I've been, I've been training and I've been looking and I want, you know. And so uh, I guess what I'm saying is it's neat to see the natural growth. Of, of individuals so that instead of saying, oh, we can't get anybody to study with individuals, you get the natural growth going and it's like, wow, we want to find more to study with. And, and so I don't know if that answers it, but that's what I've dealt with in, in real life. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, David. Are there any other questions uh, from the audience tonight? I have one more I wanted to read out here. Uh, you mentioned, David, during your, your talk about your Tuesday, your Tuesday group that was meeting there. Um, can you give any suggestions based on that experience that you had with that uh, for what, what we might be able to do to, to help um, attract people or uh, how to how maybe keep people engaged in the Word of God who might, like, who might not really wholeheartedly agree with it or, or they're just unsure about it or whatever like it, you mentioned that that went on for quite some time like how did you keep or is there anything that you did to keep those people engaged while you were going through that um i i can tell you opinion uh, i i think i think the key is uh when you study with individuals study with patience. We'll go over some of this even tomorrow, but, but study with patience. You know, if your idea is, hey, I'm going to sit down and study with this person and, and they ought, they ought to become a Christian in two weeks. <laughs> you know, take what you firmly believe right now and is anybody going to change you in two weeks? 
you know, maybe two years, but, but not hopefully in two weeks. And so, and so what, what I tried really hard to do in those studies was anything they would ask. And cause you know, they were actually coming inside our church building. And, and, and so, you know, people in that setting, they will regularly say, well, what do y'all believe here? And I would say, it doesn't matter what we believe here. It wouldn't save you. Only God can save you. So let's just see what God says. And, and so they quickly grew to appreciate, okay, so they're not giving us some denomination. And I don't think the church Christ denomination, but that's what everybody else thinks. And, and so, so they're not giving us just some denominational answer here. Everything he's studying is straight from the Bible. And, and so that became very appealing to them because once people start studying the Bible, like, you know, for example, I, I, I sat down one time studying with an MIT graduate and, and he told me straight up, he said, he said, I probably should just tell you in the beginning so that we're on the same page. The main reason I'm here is because my wife and you just need to know that I'm an atheist and, and but I knew from visiting with him before that he wasn't dogmatic and, and he wasn't like trying to lead a charge to promote atheism. And so because of that, I said to him, I said, OK, can I make a deal with you then? Will you promise that for at least six weeks all we'll do is study the Bible? And I said, I could start by saying to you, I'm going to prove to you that the Bible's true. But what I'd rather do is I'd rather just study the Bible with you for a few weeks. And and after like six weeks, if you're still saying, I don't think there's a God and I don't believe the Bible, then let's back up and let's talk more about that. And he said, that's fair enough. Now, why did I do that? Because the Word of God is, is powerful. It's alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And you can't, with an open mind and, and with an honest heart, you can't study the Word of God for several weeks without getting sucked in. You're, you're going to get drawn in. And it was so neat because he was highly intelligent. MIT grad. And so by the time six weeks was over, he, we would read verses and he would talk about it like it was true. And, and I knew. I knew. I'm like, God's done what God always does. And, and you know, and again, if he was really aggressive, that wouldn't have worked. But But for people that they're not on some journey to prove that the Bible's not true. They are so blown away. But I think about one lady that came. She she was from a um, high church. I can't remember. Um, but anyway, she was from a denominational. And they moved to Mount Juliet. And, and she came to church one Sunday. And, and I didn't see her after that uh, Sunday morning. And so she came the next Sunday morning. And so she walked up to me the next Sunday morning out in the foyer afterwards. And she said, she said, I just can't tell you how much I love this place. She said, I came here last Sunday and I took the sermon you preached and I went into work. She was a firefighter. She said, I went into work Monday and I told everybody, like, did you know the Bible says this? And said, I just went down. The verses you, we studied and said, I just went down and said, we spent the week talking about that. And she said, now, here I am this morning. And I heard another sermon. And then she just kind of paused. She said, I've never been to a place where you can literally go to church on Sunday and then live it on Monday. People are shocked that the Bible is relevant 
And that it really has tremendous wisdom and guidance for their life. All we've got to do is just encourage them to give us time. Let's sit down and study. I love, I love to study with individuals for months. Tyler that I mentioned to you, we probably studied back 17 years ago. We probably studied for about a year before he was baptized. And, and after he was baptized, we, we'd get together every Tuesday afternoon at five o'clock. We'd study one hour. And, um, and, and after he's baptized, he looked at me and it was funny because you could tell like there was almost this, you know, how's it going to be question. And he said, does this mean we have to quit studying? He said, like, if you don't mind, I would really like for us to continue studying on Tuesdays. Probably for the next five years, we studied every Tuesday at five o'clock. And that's, that's what we do as Christians. We, we can't save anybody. But we can just sit down and we can read the Holy Word of God. That is God's word to tell us about him and his son, his church, and how to become a part of all that. And that's what people are hungry for. Um, and if they're not hungry for that, we can't help them. Yeah. You know? Well, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Well, we are past our appointed time, so I appreciate, um, appreciate you, David, so much for bringing us that lesson tonight. And, and I know we're just all looking forward to the rest of the weekend. It's going to be really good. So. Let me just lead us in a word of prayer uh, before we dismiss here. Uh, Father, we thank you that we can be together here tonight. We're thankful for your servant David and what you've done through him uh, and allowed him to come here uh, to speak to us about such an important thing. God, we pray that our hearts would be uh, totally consumed by you. We pray that you would be our treasure and that we would seek that treasure, God, that uh, that you have given us, to, uh, that we would seek a life that is involved with helping other people to find out who you are. God, help us to really see and love the people around us. Help us to have opportunities in our path to to take, that we would take, uh, to share our faith. And we pray that you would be with us through the remainder of this weekend as we continue to learn and grow together. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.